Section 22 of Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 9. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Library of the World's Best Literature, Ancient and Modern, Volume 9. Section 22. Selected Epistles by Cicero. Cicero to Tyro. The following epistles are taken by permission from Jeans's Letters of Cicero. This letter gives a vivid glimpse of Cicero's tenderness to his slaves and freedmen. Tyro was probably the first editor of his former master's letters. Egypta arrived here on the 12th of April. Although he reported that you were now quite rid of your fever and going on very well, he nevertheless caused me some anxiety by his report that you were not able to write to me, the more so because Hermia, who ought to have been here on the same day, has not yet come. I am more anxious than you can believe about your health. Only free me from this anxiety, and I will free you from all duties. I would write you more if I thought you could now read more with pleasure. Use all the talents you possess, of which I have no small opinion, to keep yourself safe for my sake as well as your own. Again and again I repeat, take every precaution about your health. Goodbye. P.S. Hermia is just come. I have your note with its poor, weak handwriting. No wonder, too, after so severe an illness. I sent out Egypta to stay with you because he is not a bad companion, and appeared to me to be fond of you, and with him a cook for you to make use of his services. Goodbye. Cicero to Atticus The family affection of Cicero might be illustrated by many such letters as the following. It being now eleven days since I left you, I am scrawling this little bit of a note just as I am leaving my country house before it is light. I think of being at my place at Inagnia today, and Tusculum tomorrow, only one day there, so that I shall come up all right to time on the 28th. And oh, if I could but run on at once to embrace my Tolia and give Attica a kiss. Talking of this, by the by, do please write and let me know while I am stopping at Tusculum what her prattle is like or, if she is away in the country, what her letters to you are about. Meanwhile, either send or give her my love, and Pilia too. And even though we shall meet immediately, yet will you write to me anything you can find to say? P.S. I was just fastening up this letter, but your courier has arrived here after a long night journey with your letter. I was very sorry, you may be sure, to find on reading it that Attica is feverish. Everything else that I was waiting for I now know from your note. But when you tell me that to have a little fire in the morning sent la ville lard, I retort, il est sent plus, for one's poor old memory to begin to totter, because it was the twenty-ninth I had promised to Axius, the thirtieth to you, and the day of my arrival, the thirty-first, to Quintus. So take that for yourself, you shall have no news. Then what on earth is the good of writing, and what good is it when we are together and chatter whatever comes to our tongues? Surely there is something in causery after all. Even if there is nothing under it, there is always at least the delicious feeling that we are talking with one another. Sulpicius consoles Cicero after his daughter Tullia's death. For some time after I had received the information of the death of your daughter Tullia, you may be sure that I bore it sadly and heavily, as much indeed as was right for me. I felt that I shared that terrible loss with you, and that had I but been where you are, you on your part would not have found me neglectful, and I on mine should not have failed to come to you and tell you myself how deeply grieved I am. 
and though it is true that consolations of this nature are painful and distressing because those dear friends and relations upon whom the task naturally devolves are themselves afflicted with a similar burden and incapable even of attempting it without many tears so that one would rather suppose them in need of the consolations of others for themselves than capable of doing this kind office to others yet nevertheless i have decided to write to you briefly such reflections as have occurred to me on the present occasion not that i imagine them to be ignored by you but because it is possible that you may be hindered by your sorrow from seeing them as clearly as usual what reason is there why you should allow the private grief which has befallen you to distress you so terribly recollect how fortune has hitherto dealt with us how we have been bereft of all that ought to be no less dear to men than their own children of country position rank and every honourable office if one more burden has now been laid upon you could any addition be made to your pain or is there any heart that having been trained in the school of such events ought not now to be steeled by use against emotion and think everything after them to be comparatively light or is it for her sake i suppose that you are grieving how many times must you have arrived at the same conclusion as that into which i too have frequently fallen that in these days theirs is not the hardest lot who are permitted painlessly to exchange their life for the grave now what was there at the present time that could attach her very strongly to life what hope what fruition what consolation for the soul the prospect of a wedded life with the husband chosen from our young men of rank truly one would think it was always in your power to choose a son-in-law of a position suitable to your rank out of our young men one to whose keeping you would feel you could safely entrust the happiness of a child or that of being a joyful mother of children who would be happy in seeing them succeeding in life able by their own exertions to maintain in its integrity all that was bequeathed to them by their father intending gradually to rise to all the highest offices of the state and to use that liberty to which they were born for the good of their country and the service of their friends is there any one of these things that has not been taken away before it was given but surely it is hard to give up one's children it is hard but this is harder still that they should bear and suffer what we are doing a circumstance which was such as to afford me no light consolation i cannot but mention to you in the hope that it may be allowed to contribute equally towards mitigating your grief as i was returning from asia when sailing from aegina in the direction of megara i began to look around me at the various places by which i was surrounded behind me was aegina in front megara on the right the piraeus on the left corinth all of them towns that in former days were most magnificent but are now lying prostrate and in ruins before one's eyes ah me i began to reflect to myself we poor feeble mortals who can claim but a short life in comparison complain as though a wrong was done us if one of our number dies in the course of nature or has met his death by violence and here in one spot are lying stretched out before me the corpses of so many cities servius be master of yourself and remember that it is the lot of men to which you have been born believe me i found myself in no small degree strengthened by these reflections let me advise you too if you think good to keep this reflection before your eyes how lately at one and the same time have many of our most illustrious men fallen how grave an encroachment has been made on the rights of the sovereign people of rome every province in the world has been convulsed with the shock if the frail life of a tender woman has gone too 
who being born to the common lot of man must needs have died in a few short years even if the time had not come for her now are you thus utterly stricken down do you then also recall your feelings and your thoughts from dwelling on this subject and as beseems your character bethink yourself rather of this that she has lived as long as life was of value to her that she has passed away only together with her country's freedom that she lived to see her father elected praetor consul augur that she had been the wife of young men of the first rank that after enjoying well-nigh every blessing that life can offer she left it only when the republic itself was falling the account is closed and what have you what has she to charge of injustice against fate in a word forget not that you are cicero that you are he who was always wont to guide others and give them good advice and be not like those quack physicians who when others are sick boast that they hold the key of the knowledge of medicine to heal themselves are never able but rather minister to yourself with your own hand the remedies which you are in the habit of prescribing for others and put them plainly before your own soul there is no pain so great but the lapse of time will lessen and assuage it it is not like yourself to wait until this time comes instead of stepping forward by your philosophy to anticipate that result and if even those who are low in the grave have any consciousness at all such was her love for you and her tenderness for all around her that surely she does not wish to see this in you make this a tribute then to her who is dead to all your friends and relations who are mourning in your grief and make it to your country also that if in anything the need should arise she may be able to trust to your energy and guidance finally since such is the condition we have come to that even this consideration must perforce be obeyed do not let your conduct induce any one to believe that it is not so much your daughter as the circumstances of the republic and the victory of others which you are deploring I shrink from writing to you at greater length upon this subject, lest I should seem to be doubtful of your own good sense. Allow me therefore to put before you one more consideration, and then I will bring my letter to a close. We have seen you not once but many times bearing prosperity most gracefully, and gaining yourself great reputation thereby. Let us see at last that you are capable also of bearing adversity equally well, and that it is not in your eyes a heavier burden than it ought to seem lest we should think that of all the virtues this is the only one in which you are wanting as for myself when i find you are more composed in mind i will send you information about all that is being done in these parts and the state in which the province finds itself at present farewell cicero's reply to sulpicius yes my dear servius i could indeed wish you had been with me as you say at the time of my terrible trial how much it was in your power to help me if you had been here by sympathizing with and i may almost say sharing equally in my grief i readily perceive from the fact that after reading your letter i now feel myself considerably more composed for not only was all that you wrote just what is best calculated to soothe affliction but you yourself in comforting me showed that you too had no little pain at heart your son Servius, however, has made it clear, by every kindly attention which such an occasion would permit of, both how great his respect was for myself, and also how much pleasure his kind feeling for me was likely to give you. And you may be sure, that while such attentions from him have often been more pleasant to me, they have never made me more grateful. It is not, however, only your arguments, and your equal share, I may almost call it, in this affliction, which comforts me, 
but also your authority, because I hold it shame in me not to be bearing my trouble in a way that you, a man endowed with such wisdom, think it ought to be borne. But at times I do feel broken down, and I scarcely make any struggle against my grief, because those consolations fail me which under similar calamities were never wanting to any of those other people whom I put before myself as models for imitation. Both Fabius Maximus, for example, when he lost a son who had held the consulship, the hero of many a famous exploit, and Lucius Paulus, from whom two were taken in one week, and your own kinsman Gallus, and Marcus Cato, who was deprived of a son of the rarest talents and the rarest virtue. All these lived in times when their individual affliction was capable of finding a solace in the distinctions they used to earn from their country. For me, however, after being stripped of all those distinctions which you yourself recall to me, and which I had won for myself by unparalleled exertions, only that one solace remained which has been torn away. My thoughts were not diverted by work for my friends, or by the administration of affairs of state. There was no pleasure in pleading in the courts. I could not bear the very sight of the Senate House. I felt, as was indeed too true, that I had lost all the harvest of both my industry and my success. But whenever I wanted to recollect that all this was shared with you and other friends I could name, and whenever I was breaking myself in and forcing my spirit to bear these things with patience, I always had a refuge to go to where I might find peace, and in whose words of comfort and sweet society I could rid me of all my pains and griefs. Whereas now, under this terrible blow, even those old wounds which seem to have healed up are bleeding afresh, for it is impossible for me now to find such a refuge from my sorrows at home in the business of the state, as in those days I did in that consolation of home, which was always in store whenever I came away sad from thoughts of state to seek for peace in her happiness. And so I stay away both from home and from public life, because home now is no more able to make up for the sorrow I feel when I think of our country than our country is for my sorrow at home. I am therefore looking forward all the more eagerly to your coming, and long to see you as early as that may possibly be, no greater alleviation can be offered me than a meeting between us for friendly intercourse and conversation. I hope, however, that your return is to take place, as I hear it is, very shortly. As for myself, while there are abundant reasons for wanting to see you as soon as possible, my principal one is in order that we may discuss together beforehand the best method of conduct for the present circumstances, which must entirely be adapted to the wishes of one man only, a man nevertheless who is far-seeing and generous, and also, as I think I have thoroughly ascertained, to me not at all ill-disposed, and to you extremely friendly. But admitting this, it is still a matter for much deliberation, what is the line, I do not say of action, but of keeping quiet, that we ought by his good leave and favor to adopt. Farewell. Homesick Exile I send this with love, my dearest Terentia, hoping that you and my little Tullia and my Marcus are all well. From the letters of several people and the talk of everybody, I hear that your courage and endurance are simply wonderful, and that no troubles of body or mind can exhaust your energy. How unhappy I am to think that with all your courage and devotion, your virtues and gentleness, you should have fallen into such misfortunes for me, and my sweet Tullia too, that she who was once so proud of her father should have to undergo such troubles owing to him. And what shall I say about my boy Marcus, 
who ever since his faculties of perception awoke has felt the sharpest pangs of sorrow and misery now could i but think as you tell me that all this comes in the natural course of things i could bear it a little easier but it has been brought about entirely by my own fault for thinking myself loved by those who were jealous of me and turning from those who wanted to win me i have thanked to the people you wanted me to and mentioned that my information came from you as to the block of houses which you tell me you mean to sell why good heavens my dear terencia what is to be done oh what troubles i have to bear and if misfortune continues to persecute us what will become of our poor boy i cannot continue to write my tears are too much for me nor would i wish to betray you into the same emotion all i can say is that if our friends act up to their bounden duty we shall not want for money if they do not you will not be able to succeed only with your own let our unhappy fortunes i entreat you be a warning to us not to ruin our boy who is ruined enough already if he only has something to save him from absolute want a fair share of talent and a fair share of luck will be all that is necessary to win anything else do not neglect your health and send me messengers with letters to let me know what goes on and how you yourselves are faring my suspense in any case cannot now be long give my love to my little tolia and my marcus dirachium november twenty sixth p s i have moved to dirachium because it is not only a free city but very much in my interest and quite near to italy but if the bustle of the place proves an annoyance i shall betake myself elsewhere and give you notice cicero's vacillation in the civil war being in extreme agitation about these great and terrible events and having no means of discussing matters with you in person i want at any rate to avail myself of your judgment now the question about which i am in doubt is simply this if pompeius should fly from italy which i suspect he will do how do you think i ought to act to make it easier for you to advise me i will briefly set forth the arguments that occur to me on both sides of the question the obligations that pompeius laid me under in the matter of my restoration my own intimacy with him and also my patriotism incline me to think that i ought to make my decision as his decision or in other words my fortunes as his fortunes there is this reason also if i stay behind and desert my post among that band of true and illustrious patriots i must perforce fall completely under the yoke of one man now although he frequently takes occasion to show himself friendly to me indeed as you well know anticipating this storm that is now hanging over our heads i took good care that he should be so long ago still i have to consider two different questions first how far can i trust him and secondly assuming it to be absolutely certain that he is friendly disposed to me would it show the brave man or the honest citizen to remain in a city where one has filled the highest offices of peace and war achieved immortal deeds and been crowned with the honors of her most dignified priesthood only to become an empty name and undergo some risk attended also very likely with considerable disgrace should pompeius ever again grasp the helm so much for this side see now what may be said on the other pompeius has in our cause done nothing wisely nothing strongly nothing i may add that has not been contrary to my opinion and advice i pass over those old complaints that it was he who himself nourished this enemy of the republic gave him his honors put the sword into his hand 
that it was he who advised him to force laws through by violence, trampling on the warnings of religion, that it was he who made the addition of transalpine Gaul, he who is his son-in-law, he who as augur allowed the adoption of Clodius, who showed more activity in recalling me than in preventing my exile, who took it on him to extend Caesar's term of government, who supported all his proceedings while he was away, that he, too, even in his third consulship, after he had begun to pose as a defender of the Constitution, actually exerted himself to get the ten tribunes to propose that absence should not invalidate the election. Nay, more, he expressly sanctioned this by one of his own acts, and opposed the consul, Marcus Marcellus, who proposed that the tenure of the Gallic provinces should come to an end on the 1st of March. But anyhow, to pass over all this, what could be more discreditable, what more blundering, than this evacuation of the city, or, I had better say, this ignominious flight? What terms ought not to have been accepted sooner than abandon our country? The terms were bad? That I allow. But is anything worse than this? But he will win back the Constitution? When? What preparations have been made to warrant such a hope? Have we not lost all Picanum? Have we not left open the road to the capital? Have we not abandoned the whole of our treasure, public and private, to the foe? In a word, there is no common cause, no strength, no center to draw such people together as might yet care to show fight for the Republic. Apulia has been chosen, the most thinly populated part of Italy, and the most remote from the line of movement of this war. It would seem that in despair they were looking for flight, with some easy access to the coast. I took the charge of Capua much against my will, not that I would evade that duty, but in a cause which evoked no sympathy from any class as a whole, nor any openly even from individuals. There was some, of course, among the good citizens, but as languid as usual. And where I saw for myself that the mass of the people, and all the lowest stratum, were more and more inclined to the other side, many even longing for a revolution, I told him to his face I would undertake to do nothing without forces and without money. Consequently, I have had no responsibility at all, because I saw from the very first that nothing was really intended but flight. Say that I now follow this, then whither? Not with him. I had already set out to join him when I found that Caesar was in those parts, so that I could not safely reach Lucaria. I must sail by the western sea in the depth of winter, not knowing where to steer for. And again, what about being with my brother, or leaving him and taking my son? How, then, must I act, since either alternative will involve the greatest difficulty, the greatest mental anxiety? And then, too, what a raid he will make on me and my fortunes when I am out of the way, fiercer than on other people, because he will think, perhaps, that in outrages on me he holds a means of popularity. Again, these fetters, remember, I mean these laurels on my attendant staves, how inconvenient it is to take them out of Italy. What place indeed will be safe for me? supposing I now find the sea calm enough, before I have actually joined him, though where that will be and how to get there I have no notion. On the other hand, say that I stop where I am and find some place on this side of the water, then my conduct will precisely resemble that of Philippus, or Lucius Flaccus, or Quintus Mucius under Cinna's reign of terror, and however this decision ended for the last name, Yet still he at any rate used to say that he saw what really did happen would occur, 
but that it was his deliberate choice in preference to marching sword in hand against the homes of the very city that gave him birth. With Thrasybulus it was otherwise, and perhaps better, but still there is a sound basis for the policy and sentiments of Musius, as there is also for this which Philippus did, to wait for your opportunity when you must, just as much as not lose your opportunity when it is given. But even in this case, those staves again of my attendance still involve some awkwardness. For say that his feelings are friendly to me. I am not sure that this is so, but let us assume it. Then he will offer me a triumph. I fear that to decline may be perilous, to accept an offense with all good citizens. Ah, you exclaim, what a difficult, what an insoluble problem. Yet the solution must be found for what can one do? And lest you should have formed the idea that I am rather inclined towards staying because I have argued more on that side of the question, it is quite possible, as is so frequently the case in debates, that one side has more words, the other more worth. Therefore, I should be glad if when you give me your opinion, you would look upon me as making up my mind quite dispassionately on a most important question. I have a ship both at Caida and at Brundisium. But, lo and behold, while I am writing you these very lines by night in my house at Calus, in come the carriers, and here is a letter to say that Caesar is before Corfinium, and that in Corfinium is Domitius, with an army resolute and even eager for battle. I do not think our chief will go so far as to be guilty of abandoning Domitius, though it is true he had already sent Scipio on before two cohorts to Brundisium and written a dispatch to the consuls ordering that the legion enrolled by Faustus should go under the command of one consul to Sicily. But it is a scandal that Domitius should be left to his fate when he is imploring him for help. There is some hope, not in my opinion a very good one, but strong in these parts, that there has been a battle in the Pyrenees between Aphranius and Trebonius, that Trebonius has been beaten off, that your friend Fabius also has come over to us with all his troops, and, to crown it all, that Aphranius is advancing with a strong force. If this be so, we shall perhaps make a stand in Italy. As for me, since Caesar's route is uncertain, he is expected about equally by way of Capua and of Luceria. I have sent Lepta to Pompeius with a letter, while I myself, for fear of falling in with him anywhere, have started again for Formiae. I thought it best to let you know this, and am writing with more composure than I have written of late, not inserting any opinion of my own, but trying to elicit yours. End of section 22. Recording by Colleen McMahon.